Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Creativity. Here's how to get unstuck. I'm your host, creativity coach, Nancy Norbeck. Let's go. Novelist Michael McLaughlin trained as a doctor for more than a decade before deciding that medicine wasn't where he wanted to be after all. He moved back into his first love, fiction writing, in stages, first doing medical communications before deciding it was time to write fiction full-time. Michael tells me how and why he made that shift, including how he wrote his first book on career change before jumping into the world of long fiction. We also talk about how he draws on his medical background and combines plotting and writing by the seat of his pants to get the best results in his work. Here's my conversation with Michael McLaughlin. Michael, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I start everybody out with the same question, which is, were you a creative kid or did you discover your creative side later on in life? I think I was a pretty creative kid uh, when um, I actually started writing when I was a little kid. I, I was I was probably like 10 years old when I wrote my first book, somewhere in that 10 to 12 range or so. And uh, I, I've always liked stories and I've always liked uh, doing art projects when I was a little kid. I, I think I, uh, I um, kind of uh, channel that in different ways now. But yeah, I, I think as a kid, I, I was always interested in artistic things. So were you encouraged to pursue that kind of thing or was did you have the kind of family that was like, no, oh, that's a waste of time. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I think we we're encouraged in general. I, I think on my own, I kind of figured out that I wanted to go gradually figured out I want to do something scientific and go into medicine, which on the surface kind of seems like the antithesis of doing something artistic. Um, so I never really tested my parents, I think, to see exactly how they would have reacted. But, uh, you know, I think they're, they're realists. So I, I think they probably would have had something to say about some of the financial challenges. <laughs> and I've definitely felt that along the way as we, as we talk a little bit more about my career choices along the way, some of those were, uh, financially restricted to some extent. Sure. So when did you start to think science was more your thing? Probably in my early teens, I got into high school, I guess. I, I really started to like science courses. I, I liked English, too. I, I've always liked the two. I've, I've liked uh, reading and writing and science since probably my mid-teens. And then by the time I was about 17 or so, I decided I wanted to be a doctor. And then from that point on, for a while, I really heavily focused on on the science. Yeah, so... It's an interesting thing because, as you mentioned, you know, people tend to think that science and the arts are antithetical to each other. And I don't really think that that is true at all. I think there's a lot of creativity in science and math and things that we tend to shove into the left brain, non-creative part. And I'm wondering what that was like for you. Did, did you keep writing when you, you know, were in high school, even though you were in a more science direction? Did you balance it or did you kind of switch over or? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I really, uh, I really balanced it. I think when, when I was in college, my favorite courses were my Shakespeare courses and my creative writing courses. So I took a, I took a poetry writing course and really kind of figured out that I wasn't a poetry person, I guess. I, I really 
I, I think I don't understand poetry well enough, and I I certainly wasn't writing it well enough for my own taste. Um, but I took a short story writing course in college, and that was definitely my favorite course. Despite all these biology, chemistry, physics, everything else that I was taking, you know, most of which I really enjoyed too. I really liked the creative writing course. It was uh, um, the the short fiction course was only about twelve people. It was really interactive, and everybody gave each other feedback each week on the writing. And I I just enjoyed, I think, not just the writing uh, and the creative part, but also that interaction with people. And I learned a lot from seeing other people's writing and really starting to critique it and think about it uh, in that way and just interacting and and needing to express um, outwardly what, what I thought about the writing and, and why. And that that's very difficult. That's still, I think, difficult for me and for a lot of people. You read things and you, you know what you like sometimes, and but it's hard to express exactly why you liked it. Right. Right. And and it's kind of interesting to me, too, because I'm not always sure that quantifying those things is helpful. You know, I think that that we get caught up in the whole we must measure everything kind of mentality. I'm like, why? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, so I did. I, I I did a couple creative writing courses in college. I I wrote short stories when I was in college, and then in medical school, I continued to write short stories. Um, and uh, and then as we had kids, and when I say short stories, at that point, most of those were uh, kind of funny anecdotes. Especially as we started to have kids and and raise kids, there are just so many kind of uh, mind opening, strange <laughs> occurrences that take place and. You know, so I I wrote a lot of those. I wrote I wrote a good number of um, just these funny anecdotes that I shared with family, and uh, you know, most of which I never even tried to get published in any way. They're just kind of in the back drawer, and every now and then I pull them out and I share them with my kids as they get older to entertain them. Or I don't know, sometimes they're <laughs> sometimes they're more annoyed than entertained. I'm not really sure, but um, but it entertains me, so maybe that's uh, <laughs> that's that's almost as important, I suppose. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the whole point of of doing something creative, you know, and I think there are people who would object to the word entertain. But I Mm -hmm. think if you're not having fun, why are you doing it? Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So you went to med school. You went through, I mean, how how long were you in med school and residency (laughs) and all of that? (laughs) <laughs> a long time. So I was in med school for four years, and then I did six years of residency after that. Uh, med school, I did at Columbia, and then I stayed on there, and I did um, three years of general surgery residency, uh, two years of plastic surgery and reconstructive surgery, and then I did one year of hand surgery and microsurgery after that. So yeah, a long time, a whole decade of my life, uh, not to mention the time spent before that and some time after that once I got into practice. Yeah. So obviously there was an appeal there. So what, what was it that got you there and kept you there aside from just, I like science? Oh, I, you know, um, uh, I, I wanted to be a surgeon from an early age. I, I knew that um, I wanted to do that specifically. And I kind of changed a little bit as far as what type of surgery I like doing, but uh, you know, I, I like, um, I guess I, I like seeing problems and fixing them. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, in surgery, that's what you do. And you do it in a really meaning, meaningful way for people. You can really have an impact on people's lives. And 
And uh, so you get kind of a combination of uh, a, a problem to fix, uh, a, a challenge for yourself, and then also the outcome of being able to do something good for people. So that that really drew me to going into medicine and going into surgery specifically. Well, and it's it's interesting that, you know, when you say that it gives you the opportunity to help people, I find it kind of fascinating that you've gone from hand surgery to writing as someone who has had carpal tunnel surgery on both wrists. <laughs> it seems mm-hmm. kind of fitting and slightly ironic. I fixed many hundreds of those. I bet you <laughs> yes. did. I am deeply grateful to the person who fixed mine. <laughs> sure, sure. So when did you start to think maybe this wasn't what you wanted to do? Uh, uh, I was probably, uh, I was probably about, I don't know, halfway into my residency, I started to wonder a little bit. I had a couple of friends who were in the program with me who went on to do other things who left the program that I was in. And, uh, you know, I just, I was so on, on a track and it's, you know, you, I was so busy. I was working so many hours that it was hard to even think outside of the box that I was driving further in, into during the residency program. But I, I also, um, I really enjoyed the individual things that I was doing, but, uh, you know, I really started, you know, I got married, we started to have kids. I started to wonder whether from a, um, you know, work-life balance standpoint, uh, there, there might be something better for me. And then as I got into practice, I, I remember thinking, oh boy, let's, uh, let's see how this goes. I remember signing the contract, you know, and, and starting working and, and, uh, you know, I, I had great experiences with the patients that I worked with and really enjoyed the, the, you know, being able to help people and doing, doing the surgery and, and all that. But, uh, a lot of what I was doing was outside of what I thought a doctor would be doing. There's a lot of extra, um, just, just, paperwork and just non-patient time, non-surgery operating room time that really starts to consume you. And so with that and with, um, you know, with really at times feeling like I was working around the clock and having trouble again, balancing uh, work life, uh, I I decided, I really started to second guess things and, and wonder whether I should do something else. And after about two years into practice, I decided to change gears and to think about uh, either an alternative practice type or uh, an alternative career. And I spent about two years, took a long time to try and figure out what else I could do. And, um, you know, it's funny at, at that time I was about, so I was about two years into what ended up being four years in practice. And I thought, well, what do I really want to do? And what I really wanted to do was be a novelist at that time. That's that that was my dream job. But that was the point. I mentioned some financial considerations at that mm-hmm. point. You know, I, I had a family, I had a wife and two kids. And uh, by the time I left practice, she was pregnant with my wife was pregnant with our third daughter. And so financial considerations were real at, at that point. So even though I never went into surgery with financial considerations in mind at all. When I was looking to change careers, I really had to consider whether I could, you know, have a salary on a regular basis consistently right. and, and to the amount that we were looking for. So, um, you know, even though I kind of, I kind of kept the novelist idea on the back burner as, as I looked at other types of careers. And at that point, I, um, I found out that I could combine my scientific and medical interests and passion with the passion for writing and go into medical writing. And so that's what I did. Once I found out that 
I could combine those and basically write for an industry called medical communications, which um, in our case supported pharmaceutical companies in their writing needs. I, I had an epiphany. I couldn't believe that I could combine those two sides of my brain, like you, like you were saying, and, and, um, and combine really my two passions to find something that I think was really a, a you know, a, a second true calling for me af- after going into medicine. And I'm sure that a lot of people said, oh, this is the absolutely perfect thing for you because because it combines those two things. I mean, when I finished undergrad, I had done a lot of, you know, student employment in the computer center, you know, doing tech support and things like that. And that's exactly what people said. Like, oh, you should be a technical writer because it combines your technical writing is not that interesting. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Discovered, you know, it's like, yeah, it sounds good on paper. And and it did give me a passion for writing very clear documentation for things. But ultimately, it was just not something that I was going to want to do forever. And I'm I'm guessing that you may have experienced the same thing. Yeah, well, you know, there are even within what I did, there are a lot of different types of medical writing and some are more dry from my perspective, from, you know, um, in my opinion, more dry than others. And when I started, I actually did um, it was kind of a mix. It was fair. It was very scientific, but it was also initially working with marketing teams. So it's a little bit more creative. I was working with artists. I was working with um, copywriters in addition to the scientific writers that I was working with. So it was kind of a, a kind of a blend, but, um, but, you know, but, but then as time went on, I got further and further into more uh, pure scientific writing in, in, uh, within this career. And, as I was doing that, I, I would come home and late at night after the kids were in bed or whatever, I, I would start to, you know, I try and write some short stories. I even wrote a couple of books over those years, uh, a couple of novels and and actually a book about changing careers. Um, and, uh, you know, I just squeezed in that time because I, I just had this need to get these additional creative thoughts out of my head. <laughs> it's funny so. how that works. And I, I feel like I should issue a caveat about my statement about technical writing. It was not that interesting to me. (laughs) There are plenty of people who do it and love it. And that's awesome. And we're very glad that they exist. But, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me, you know, that so many people do manage to do creative work in the little nooks and crannies of time that they can find. And yet so many other people say, oh, I'd really like to be an artist, but I don't have the time. You know, and and I'm not saying that to judge anybody, but there there does seem to be, you know, certain people are just pulled strongly enough by it that it's like, I don't really have time, but I'm going to find some even if it's 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there. And it's it's always interesting to me to hear how that works out for folks. It clearly seems to have worked for you ultimately. Yeah, it's uh, I, I just needed to do it. And and. And I knew that I had to carve out the time somehow. And no matter how I did that, it's like exercise. You know, everybody's kind of wants to exercise and either you figure out a, a way you're going to get it done or or you don't. Um, and I think writing is a lot like that. And just to give you a sense, the, the first book I wrote was about changing careers. The way I wrote that book was I, uh, I had an hour and a half commute each way to work for many years, actually. And uh, I dictated that book while driving and uh wow. and then 
originally I did it on a dictaphone that I just had next to me sitting on the uh, on the passenger seat. And then after I dictated it, um, I brought it to a transcriptionist that I had worked with previously. She transcribed it. This was back in the old days with little tapes. You know, she had these little, a little uh, like a cassette tape. And so she transcribed it and then I edited it further. But that that's how I squeezed it in. I, I found and, I, and I, I did this a lot I, and I continue to do this. If I have downtime that's not enjoyable for some reason, I try and somehow convert it to, to something positive. And so in those drives, it was, you, you know, you could it could just be completely mind numbing. And sometimes it is. But if you in this case, I figured out a way to actually read a book while I was stuck in traffic. And um, that was that was easier to do with that particular book because it was I set it up as more of a Q&A and it was it, it was all in my head and I just needed to get it out of my head. It's very different than a novel. I think I tried to do that a little bit with creative writing for non for fiction and it was just completely impossible. I just couldn't do it. So it's very, very different, you know. I was wondering how you managed to focus on driving and dictate something like that. Yeah, just pretending I was talking to somebody. I just (laughs) pretended I was talking to somebody on the phone. Basically, it's all these questions people would ask me about changing careers. So I just kind of in my head decided, all right, well, I'm speaking to somebody on the phone and I I just dictated it. Uh, and uh, and I got it done. It was pretty amazing, actually, that, that I was able to to do that. I was so pleased that I was able to do it that way. But but yeah, with fiction, yeah, it, it, I can't imagine somebody could get away with that. I when, when I'm writing fiction, I'm just so absorbed. I, I think I wouldn't have stayed on the road for very long. I think if it was if I was yeah yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there's someone who has done it, but sure. I don't think I would recommend it. No. <laughs> so. uh. <laughs> Those those really exciting scenes, right? <laughs> you get yeah. right to the climax of the book, and and uh, it's got to be hard to pay attention to everything else you're doing. Or if you really get into the flow, and then somebody cuts you off in traffic and completely throws you out, that would yeah, just yeah. absolutely break me. <laughs> exactly. But and and it's also, you know, tra- I know transcription is not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I, I spent some money on that. So, yeah. Yeah. But, but if it works and you can yeah. afford to do it, more power to you. Yeah. That was a one-time deal for me. So do you still dictate your writing? No, I don't. Um, I don't, I, I, I think I should. And, and I keep telling myself that, but I, I don't, I, I mostly sit down at the computer and, and type. I just wondered because I've I've noticed when I was dealing with the wrist issues, you know, people were saying, oh, you should dictate, you know, especially because it was the last year of my MFA program. And so, you know, I had to be able to keep typing and working on my book and everything. And I yeah. found the process so different and I wasn't sure I liked it. You know, I think when you're used to doing something on the keyboard, I think the the process is different somehow as it goes through your neural circuitry and I think so and I just never never became a fan which is why I was especially thrilled that someone could fix my wrist and I didn't have to yeah, force yeah. myself to become a fan so you've noticed <laughs> the same thing yeah definitely I'm I, you know I, I don't know why but I think I think maybe because I'm so visual that I think it helps to see the words on the page as I'm coming up with the next words. I, I, I think somehow that's that's part of it. 
I, a lot of it's just habit too. You know, I, I think, I think if, uh, if someone took my computer and said, you can't use it anymore, I'd find another way. That's a good point. Yeah. And we, we do tend to be very adaptable creatures, human beings. So we probably yeah. would adapt if we had to, but I'm hoping I don't ever have to. <laughs> right, exactly. That's right. Nobody, nobody ever wants to adapt. I think. No. Uh, Maybe in theory they do, but don't I think in, in change. Change is evil and hard. I don't <laughs> want to change do it. Change is scary. Change <laughs> is scary. That's right. So how did you make the transition from medical communication into writing actual novels and doing that as a bigger chunk of your time? Um, well, basically, uh, I was I was fortunate. I was able to um, to sell the company that I had started over the last few years. So that happened in two stages, 2018, and then this past summer, 2022. Um, but in the middle of that, I, I was able to phase out of the company. And in, so believe it or not, on March 13th, 2020, right <laughs> as the world was caving in on us, that was my last day at the office. Ooh. And and my plans were to uh, to write. And to become a full-time novelist at that point, also to travel a little bit, to go to some concerts and go to some sporting events and everything else went away. And so I started writing up a storm. I became extremely productive during the difficult time for all of us. You know, they're, they're just, uh, we all had to adapt. There wasn't too much to, to do. We had to find right. those things we could do. And writing was definitely one of them for me. It's so interesting because I, I'm wondering now how many how many pandemic writers there are, you know, writers who were born of the pandemic. I talked to a girl a couple months ago who is probably 15 by now. I think she was 14 then. And she started writing novels during the pandemic because she had nothing else to do. Told her parents she was playing video games. And then, you know, emerges with this finished novel and hey mom and dad i wrote a book when i told you i was playing video games <laughs> aren't you supposed to do the complete opposite aren't you supposed right? to say i'm working writing a book and then you, you play the video games on the side that's pretty admirable that's that's impressive yeah she's written a pile of books that. and published them and the whole the whole wow. deal and that's great. you know I, you you the two of you can't be the only two there must be a whole, right. oh, yeah. a whole unknown club of people who turned into full-fledged novelists during the pandemic. Uh, no doubt about it. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot. So, you know, we talked a little bit about whether or not your parents encouraged you as a kid, but since you made this massive change a whole lot later, did you get a lot of pushback from people? Or were they at that point kind of like, well, if you can afford to do it, knock yourself out? When I wanted to write full-time, you mm -hmm. mean? No, no, no pushback at that point. In fact, uh, I was surprised at how many people knew that that's exactly what I wanted to do, you know, um, because I it's not like I was running around the whole time complaining about what what I was doing at the time. I, I've enjoyed really the different aspects of my career along the way. But multiple people said, oh, you've wanted to do that since you were young, you know, since you were in college or high school or when you were a little kid, depending on how long they knew me. And uh, and that. I guess validated it a little bit further for me that uh, that I've always wanted to do this. That's great. It has me yeah. thinking about how we treat 
these kind of aspirations differently depending on the age of the person expressing them. You know, when yeah. you're a kid, it's like, it's fine when you're, you know, in grade school, maybe when you're in high school, but then you have to grow up and get serious and do something that makes money. Yeah. And, you know, and even, even in, in college, but, you know, when you're older and somebody can say, yeah, you've wanted to do this forever, suddenly it becomes, this is totally what Michael needs to do because he's wanted to do it forever. Yeah. It seems a little, <laughs> a little odd to me that we differentiate that way. I think you're right. Um, I definitely agree with you. Um, at the same time, though, I, I look back and I now that I'm doing this full time, I, I've kind of wondered, wow, could I have done this at different other time points in my life? And I don't know. I, I you know, I think to be successful as a novelist takes a while. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are different sacrifices that people make along the way to to make that dream happen. And, and some of them get going on it right out of the gate. Some are really fortunate and maybe they are they're a big success right away. But I think more often there, there are probably more people out there that kind of struggle through it or, or need to go through the learning curve or or just the, um, uh, you know, put in the whatever those 10,000 hours or whatever you need to to be able to be good and then hopefully successful in various ways and earn an income, I guess, to, to make it work. And so when I look back at the different um, key milestones in my career, I'm not so sure I would have gotten away with this because I, 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 I need the time. I'm getting better with every book that I write. And um, so I don't know if I would have been a success out of the gate when I was in my 20s or when I changed careers in my 30s. That's an interesting point, not least because probably what you would have written then is very different than what you would write now, just because life experience makes a huge difference. And that's also definitely true. Yeah. It's also funny, I, you know, um, I've written a couple of short stories recently, and, and it's hard for me to remember some of those experiences now that I was trying to trying to write about. So, but, you know, there, it's, um, uh, yeah, I think there are certain hot topics at at different points in your life and and things that get you excited to write about at different points in your life. And sometimes when you try and force fit them at a different time in your life, it is more it is more difficult at times. Definitely. So take us through the process of, you know, what you decided to write when to end up where you are now? Because I know you're writing, you have a whole range of different areas and genres that you've written in. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned the short stories. So that's been kind of an ongoing thing throughout my life. As far as the novels, uh, I wrote, um, I wrote, you know, as a physician, I guess it's probably not a surprise. I started with a medical thriller. And uh, so I wrote this book called Extinction. That's about it takes place in the Arctic at a woolly mammoth research station. And, and the researchers there start to die uh, quickly from a mysterious disease. And so this doctor gets sent from the United States to go up to the research station and try and figure out what's going on. And within a short amount of time, he's in just as much, if not more trouble than everybody there. And so they're kind of racing against the clock to figure out what's going on while all these various uh, awful, uh, forces are converging on them. So that was the first one. And that, uh, I might've, I think I finished that one in 2010. I think the Amazon date on that is like 2012 or 13. Cause that's when maybe I launched it or something, but, but it was around that time, but that one took a while, you know, I was writing these on the side. So 
that one took years to write. And I probably had the idea many years before that and kind of slowly chipped away at it and then and then finally put it into book format. Are you a real stickler for making it all medically accurate or do you take liberties in the name of writing fiction? No, I'm a stickler for making it medically <laughs> accurate. And I, I, you know, the amount of research I do for every single little thing that I put in, I, I, I on any book, it doesn't have to be medical. I, I just want to get it exactly right. Um, I, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it gets frustrating for people if they're reading something They they start to question other things in the book. I think if they see some things in there that, that don't make sense or, or that maybe they're more of an expert on and, and they're inaccurate. It's, it's hard though, to nail all these things down. It's, it could be just about anything in a book that can burn you if, uh, you know, if you mm-hmm. get it wrong. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty careful with the medical information. And even the books I've written that aren't uh, a medical thrillers have had fairly um, re- reasonably involved medical aspects to them. There's something medical going on with with some of the characters and that type of thing. And, um, and you know, I, I think for me, it's easy to kind of throw in something like like that, some kind of medical condition or something that makes it, uh, you know, that poses an additional challenge for a um, a character as as they're going through. Yeah, that gives you, you know, your background gives you a lot of of stuff to draw on for ideas for things like that, which is really cool. Definitely, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot to draw on. Um, I did. Uh, so I did after that. A few years later, I, you know, I I had this idea. Well, I was I've I've always been really interested in in the power of the media, both uh, you know, positive and some of the pitfalls of the power of the media. And so and I I always find it interesting to watch how media coverage works around a really big event or or you know, some kind of issue that's going on. And so I wrote this book called uh The Satin Strangler Blogs. Um and um actually I I wrote it online on in blog format on websites on blog sites originally and eventually i made a i took that and uh published it as a book as well but basically it's the story of a female serial killer uh, uh told from the perspectives of 12 different bloggers and you never really you're 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 never really in the mind of that accused person you're just seeing everyone out there most some of whom are close to her, but many of whom are so far removed that they couldn't possibly know what they're really talking about. And so I tell this story and you follow what happens with this character from the perspectives of these 12 bloggers. And I actually, I created these 12 full-blown blog sites that have far more blogs on them than my story. And, but I, I then mapped it out so that you could follow the story blog post by blog post. And at the end of each blog post, there's a link that takes you to a completely different blog site and you gradually leapfrog through the internet universe and read the 105 blog posts that make up the chapters of the book. And um, so I did that. And, and then I, you know, people said, well, can I read it as a book? <laughs> so I, you know, I, so I, I took what I thought was this really cool, creative thing that I, you know, I created this whole universe of, uh, on the internet and, um, and, and I took all those posts and I put them in order and I, I put them into a book. Uh, and, um, so I, I really love that story. 
But now that it's in a book, when people read the book, the the way I've written it kind of throws them off a little bit. So I, it, you know, I don't, I usually don't recommend to people that that be the first book of mine that they read because they'll, they'll wonder if I write all my books like that. You know, my, my, the, other, the other three are traditional novels with traditional perspectives and that kind of thing. Um, but this one was kind of a more of a, um, really a full blown creative process to pull this thing together. Yeah. I mean, that that's quite an undertaking and a really cool idea. And there must have been people who, you know, were perfectly happy to read it there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's set up pretty well to to do that. I think one of the things that can happen to people is, uh, you know, they can't read the whole thing in a sitting. So you, unless you somehow log where you are when, when when you stop reading it can be hard to get back in so that was a logistical challenge with doing that and i i also have it online though where you can just keep clicking and the screen changes and you kind of feel a little bit like you're on a different blog site but not exactly um so there's that version too but um uh you know I, sometimes too i think i i created this because i i I really just needed to do it this way. And I, I really thought it would be really cool. And I'm very proud of what I did at the same time. I, I can see why it's not everybody's favorite thing to read or everybody's favorite way to read either. So after that, I went back to writing more traditional novels. Um, sure. That's, that's what I'd written. I'd written the career change book and those two novels uh, before um, uh, 2020. And then I've written two novels since then. And I have a third that's complete now that I'm about to query out to, to agents. Um, but the, um, so it, after, after leaving my job, basically uh, my, my day job, I, uh, I, I, I had a whole bunch of book ideas and I still have a whole bunch of book ideas that I scribbled down over the years and kept in a file. And so I wrote a book first called uh, Woods which is, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with geocaching, but bit. it's basically, yeah, you um, there. there's an app to help you out, but basically everywhere around us, just about everywhere, people have hidden these little, these little treasures, these little uh, canisters of different kinds with, with different items in them. And so the idea is that you use this GPS tracker system. You go, in many cases, you're on a hike, but it's even in cities. You can find them on a corner underneath a pipe or something. Someone's hidden these little canisters <clears throat> and um and so you you go you find it you can swap out the item for something of greater value and put something else in there um or just log in on a little piece of paper when you found it and then you, you're supposed to go back and confirm for other people that it was still there and and it's intact and that kind of thing so um so of course enjoying thrillers i took this wonderful family activity and uh, I thought, how cool would it be if I took some uh, kind of um, city slicker kind of kids from New York City, sent them up to the north woods of Maine to go geocaching to find the latest novel, actually the last novel of their uh, favorite horror fiction writer. And so this fictitious character has hidden the novel in multiple geocaches over the course of uh, set, like 30 to 40 miles up in the North Woods. 
And so you can go up there and theoretically, <laughs> fictitiously, and, and hike through and find the different chapters of the book. And that's how you read this person's book. And of course, I send these characters up there. They have enough money. These kids have enough money. They kind of, uh, uh, you know, all lie to their parents saying where they are and nobody's parents are paying attention. And, <laughs> and they take a, a flight in a helicopter up to this remote place where they're the only way out is to hike these 30 to 40 miles out through completely desolate uh, forests. And so while, of course, while they're geocaching to find these things, the geocaches start to be kind of bizarre. And then they realize someone's following them. And, and then the book goes forward from there. And, and when I wrote this one, all I knew is that I wanted to send these kids into the woods in the middle of nowhere, have them only have one way out and bring in the geocache thing, because I thought that was really cool. And uh, and then sick this like, you know, the, this horrible person on them in the, the middle of the woods. And I had no idea whether they were going to get out, who was going to get out, how they were going to get out. And um, I, I actually just wrote it without an outline and figured out where they were going and how they got out. And it was one of the more fun writing experiences of my life to, to try and work that out. And I actually did that with the last two books that I wrote where I knew the first chapter, I kind of knew where I was headed. And, and then I started to write. And I know there, you know, there are the, the writers out there are um, either um, uh, outliners or pantsers, right? So, um, so this was a couple of pantser projects that I did. The other ones I really had to kind of figure out in advance, and uh, but these two I I went by the seat of my pants, and I I really enjoyed that these last two. It's um, really interesting that you've done some of each because most people seem to land fairly firmly on one side or the other. Though it makes sense that certain projects for you would would require more outlining than others. Definitely, definitely, and uh, you know the um. Yeah, the next book I did was like that too. I, I just decided, all right. Uh, um, the, so that book was Woods, is what it's called. And then the my fourth book, it, the latest, about a year ago, I released it is uh, Fugue, F U G U E, which some people have never heard the word, other people have. But um, uh, I uh, for that one, I knew I wanted to have a, and a bunch of these are young female protagonists that are really like the, these dynamic, strong female protagonists, which is really cool because I have three daughters and, uh, you know, so it's uh, somehow <laughs> this is where I've fallen into as far as some of my characters. But um, so this character, though, in Fugue is um, an older teenager and uh, like 18, 19, and she wakes up in a foreign country in a hospital. She's had some kind of brain surgery, has no idea what's happened to her, where she is, why she's there or who she is, and is very, um, you know, frightened about what's going on around her and decides in the first couple of scenes to escape through the window of the hospital. And so she goes out into what it very quickly ends up being La Paz, Bolivia, where I've actually spent some time. And, uh, and she tries to figure out who she is and where she came from and where she, what she wants to be in life, essentially, as, as she moves, moves forward and gradually kind of sorts out the puzzle. And so with that one, I just knew that I wanted this person to wake up and have no idea who they were or why they were there and take it from there. And it, it, 
with the, with both those with woods and with fugue, I, I got to a point, I get to a point where I'm like probably like 120 pages in. And I really feel like it, for each book, I felt like I, I had something really special going on, but then I needed to stop and sit down and go, all right, where am I going with this? Because I wasn't just going to continue to free form it all the way to the finish line. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's extremely difficult. So I think it's got to happen to most pantsers even that they, they reach a point where they say, all right, wh- where am I heading? I need a sense of where I'm heading with this. And so I at least figured out those few uh, few aspects of where each of those books needed to go. And then I went back and, and wrote them. And I might have done just top line outlines on those, just some bullet points to, to make sure I was staying on track. Um, but then this latest book, the, the, the one that I'm, I'm about to query out, is a uh it's a fantasy novel which is a real uh different type of novel for me totally different genre and for this i tried to write it as a pantser ran into a lot of issues had to back up tried to write it again had to back up and uh and then it it ended up being an outline from scratch and uh, I mean, you know, re- redoing the outline and rewriting from scratch. And and so there are definitely time. And I have a feeling that moving forward, I'll probably outline. So I think that was an interesting lesson. You, did, you know, you don't want to be six months into a project or so, or probably even more in this case. This is another idea I worked on off and on for years. Uh, and um, and then to get to the point where I was thinking, oh, boy, I've really got to kind of re-outline this and and move forward is is a challenge. That's really interesting to me because I am definitely a pantser and most of the pantsers that I know, it's more like you're outlining after the fact. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have the manuscript and you're going, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to reread this and start asking questions and see, oh, look here on page 20, you know, this thing happens that I completely forgot about by page 250 and wrote something totally different. And now I have to decide which one stays, which one goes and oh, yeah. make it all work. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I, I will sometimes have like, I know I have to get to X, but right. other than that, you know, that that's the closest I've ever come to outlining anything. So it's yeah. very interesting to me to, to hear the way that you kind of mix the two up. Well, I definitely, I found that do, uh, as a pantser, I've had to go back and heavily rewrite, very heavily rewrite. Um, and that's okay. I, you know, uh, I, I actually, this may sound weird. I, I love coming up with ideas, but I almost like the rewriting process even better than than the initial draft process, because I feel like that's where the magic starts to work its way into the story. I think, you know, I, I write this, I write the first draft knowing I've got something that's worthwhile, that's worth me spending a ton of time with, <laughs> uh, you know, and spending a lot of time with those characters. But then it's not until the rewrite where I can tell how how special the project is. And uh, and so that's I, I really love the rewriting. And and in my and in my career as a med- within medical writing, and as as I'm you know, advanced through different positions and eventually as the owner of the company, I was doing more review, strategic input, um, revision, that kind of thing than the actual initial draft. So I think I got really good at that, even though it was a different type of writing. Sure. 
Yeah. And, you know, good editing skills are good editing skills, no matter where you're, where you're putting them to use. But yeah, I, I always enjoy the process of of going through the draft and I I always feel like it's like solving a a puzzle or a mystery. You know, it's like, which pieces go together? It's, you know know what, having done it, do I have now? I I really think it's so much fun to be a pantser (laughs) because you're, because you just, you discover it the same way the reader discovers it almost as, as you're going through. And boy, I'll tell you when when, uh, I mentioned those times where I was about, you know, halfway into the book thinking, where does this go? Wow. When, when, and you know, this, when you figure out where you want to end up, it's so exciting. It's, it's just, uh, it's, I get goosebumps. Yeah. Just thinking about it. Yeah. Especially when you're like, Oh, look, it's all starting to come together in my head and I know exactly what's happening now. Yeah. 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 I, I do not have the patience or the level of interest to be able to write from an outline for that reason because if i knew what was going to happen you know why and yet you know some people have to do that because that's the way they work and that's fine (laughs) yeah i mean i've listened to so many uh podcasts with um with writers and watched so many interviews and it's amazing how different everybody's approaches are you know and and some people do evolve over time i with with the book that i i am wrapping up now um, I'm not sure if I'm really wrapping it up because other people hopefully are about to see it uh, and comment on it. But uh, uh, but I I I hired a book coach to work with, and so she's been great at adding. You know, I consider myself to be ultra organized and and really meticulous with things, but to have somebody who can add an extra layer of that and and someone who can really dig into the book and and all you know from through each of the uh, the steps in the process, mm-hmm. outline and and early drafts and whatever, and have really valuable input on it. It has really been a game changer. I I think that my my writing is getting better from from that relationship and from that interaction. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, and it, there's a world of difference between that and handing it to your best friend, no matter how well intentioned they are, who doesn't do yeah. any kind of writing because they just don't see the same kinds of things, though there's merit in both of them. You know, your best friend may say, this part doesn't make any sense. And because they know yeah. something about it and the book coach may not. So, yeah. 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 Mo- most of the people I have review things, you know, the friends and family, yeah, they don't want to criticize too much, which unfortunately is, uh, it, you know, can make it tough. Mm-hmm. They're they're good at uh, at proofing, and then they all have some comments along the way. So I've actually uh, I changed the character's name uh, recently uh, because multiple people said I really don't like that character's name. Um, and then my my daughters are really good. They my daughters read so much, and uh, they've really had some valuable input on uh, a couple of the recent books. And um, and very um, you know uh, opinionated in- input as well, and so um, you know so- sometimes I'll I'll you know you have to decide as the creator what input you're going to take and incorporate. And when my kids are pretty emphatic, I know they're probably right. So yeah. uh, because this reads so much, it's interesting. You're reminding me of a Neil Gaiman quote that I just came across again lately, and I don't have the exact wording, but basically is saying, you know, remember that almost everything that that a reader tells you needs to be fixed in your book needs to be fixed, but that <laughs> yeah. 
almost every way that they'll tell you to fix it will be wrong. I, yes, I, I've, uh, I've I've heard. Yeah, you need to figure out what it is that's bothering them because some sometimes people can't express it exactly right, and that's where that's where the book coach is just spot on. She'll say, "Here's the problem," and I'll go, "Oh my god, that's exactly what the problem is," you know, and and um, so that's really helpful. But yeah, that that's why. But when people hone in on you know a certain uh, a certain scene or a certain chapter and go, you know. It, having some problems with that, you know, something's got to be fixed and you need to figure out what it is. So that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, always have to laugh at myself in those moments where, you know, there's something that I've written and I re- really did it deliberately in a certain way to try to emphasize a certain thing or create a certain feeling or whatever I was trying to do. And somebody will say, what is this about? You know, like, I don't know what you're trying to do here and whatever. And it's, it's that kill your darlings moment, you know, it's like, but I really like that. And I worked really hard on that. And yet there's always that voice in the back of my head going, and you know, they're right because they wouldn't have said something if they understood what you were trying to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this current draft that I've got, it's, uh, you know, it's been through a few iterations and, the earlier, a couple of the earlier iterations had multiple perspectives, multiple characters, multiple perspectives. And then I, I just, I, I decided I really wanted to write it from a single perspective. And so, you know, when you do that, you've got, there are, there are entire chapters, entire characters, entire everythings that either had to go away, or I needed to figure out how that character could realistically find out that information. And mm-hmm. it's still a total rewrite on, on, you know, what ends up, ends up happening to, to, uh, to allow them to do that. But yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a tough one. When you change the perspective, that's, that, oh, that caused some dramatic changes, but it was the right thing to do. It's so <laughs> the draft I'm working with is just infinitely better than, you know, each one, each draft has been so much better than the previous one because of the flexibility to, to just accept that something has to change and, uh, you know, killing your darling is very difficult. Yeah. And you're also reminding me of how many things I have written, both fiction, nonfiction, you know, I mean, even just like a, a report for work or something like that, where it just doesn't seem to work and you pound your head against it. And then you suddenly realize it's because I structured it wrong. <laughs> you know, I tried to set it up as this thing. And it doesn't want to be that thing. And it needs to change the point of view. It needs to, you know, be ordered differently, whatever it is. And right. you, and yet it's amazing once you figure out what that missing thing is, how much quickly it comes together because now it's being what it wants to be for want of a better way to put it. Sure. Yeah. You should see how many times I rewrite long emails. <laughs> Guilty as charged. That's where sometimes I need to cut myself off. Oh, you know, only two revisions allowed on per email. Um, but uh, oh, one of the one of the other things we were talking about was uh, that I do want to mention that that's helped tremendously is um, I I I used to get so hung up as I was drafting on what the exact right words were and. Uh, and and I would start to write, and um, I don't know. I would be talking about a certain car, and I would look it up online mid sentence. I'd go, "Oh well, that's a Corvette, but oh wait, what year do I want?" And I would start researching, and 
I I stopped doing that. I, I heard so many writers talking about separating their writer brain from their editorial brain. And to be able to create, I found that I, I can't be critiquing myself at the same time. And, and that's been a total game changer. I, I'm now willing to put down on a first draft any slop that I want to get onto the page to get myself going and, and to keep moving. And knock on wood, that's helped tremendously with any prior writer block type problems. Um, and and then I, I know I can revise it. I know I can fix anything I put down on the page. And then when I go through it again, yeah, I spend a lot of time trying, sometimes trying to figure out exactly the right word. Or like I said, I, I research a ton to make sure I get the, the information right. But I, I don't allow myself to leave the, that page to go do those things while I'm drafting. So I, I keep the editor away. There, there's magic in giving yourself permission to be imperfect. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of it, which of course can be very difficult to convince people of. <laughs> but but it's yeah, hard. you let that go and you just say, <laughs> I'm going to write a crappy first draft. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure you're familiar with Anne Lamott's essay on shitty first drafts, which when I first encountered that about 25 years ago, it was almost like, you know, the cliched ray of sunshine from the heavens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow, yeah. that is brilliant and perfect and absolutely wonderful and thoroughly correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 I think all writers feel like the, everything they put down has to, you know, it's got to be moving in a great direction and, and they, interfere with themselves uh, I, I i certainly do that with myself and, and i've gotten i really i think so far successfully gotten away from doing that and um and, and that's been a game changer total game changer yeah i'm sure so i wanted to give you a couple minutes to talk about the career change book because i'm sure that there are people who are asking themselves the very question that you tackled in it <laughs> Sure. Yeah. The um. So the career change book, like I said, that was the first one I wrote. I think that was uh, early two thousands, maybe two thousand four, two thousand seven, somewhere in that period. I think I I worked on that. Um. And uh, um. It's called. Uh, Do you feel like you wasted all that training? And even though that's grammatically, technically not exactly one hundred percent correct which I've been told many times over the years, it's that is the question that I heard from everyone when I was changing careers. And so the, um, I, I, you know, for a while I tried to figure out how to write the book, how to format it and all that. But then finally I decided, you know what, I'm just going to write this as answers to the questions I get asked by physicians who are considering alternative careers. And so forget how many questions that are in there, maybe 60 or so questions, but basically the book ends up following my career change process kind of from start to finish in, in ordered questions along the way. And what ended up coming out of that was uh, again, through the help of a, a family, uh, family member or mentor, a physician who went into business, who spent a lot of time with me, we kind of gradually worked toward uh, five stages to, to go through. And, um, uh, you know, so I don't know if I remember them all quickly, but, uh, introspection, uh, exploration of what's out there, uh, 
uh, preparation to prepare yourself for what you might want. And then um, acquisition, you know, uh, applying for jobs, interviewing for jobs, that kind of thing. And then the actual transition at the end. And so I kind of walk through that. And I've also, um, I've, uh, I have a website, uh, um, PRN resource, it's a physician renaissance network. And there's a lot of information on there for doctors interested in changing careers. And through that and through the book and through um, a lot of connections, I've done a lot of speaking on that subject. And so I speak every year at a conference out in Chicago by a company uh, run by a company called Seek, S-E-A-K. They do a non-clinical careers course. So I, I spend a day on the panel out there each year. And then I've done speaking engagements at some pretty interesting places uh, where doctors wanted to hear about alternative careers. And so uh, I've gotten to travel a little bit and I've gotten to do some speaking on that, which has been a lot of fun and, and really rewarding because I, I feel like I've been able to really inform a lot of physicians about what their options are. And, and hopefully I try not to be the Pied Piper and convince everyone to leave <laughs> practice because I need medical care as much as anybody right. else, especially as time goes on. But, um, you know, the, the first set of conversations, though, is about looking at what you're doing today and how you can make that situation better. And I think even that part of the conversation helps out a lot of doctors who don't necessarily want to do something different. So that's that that's a lot of what I discussed with them as well. So that's been that's been a side interest for many years, basically since I changed careers. There there was nothing online. There were no organizations. There was almost really no source of information on the subject. So I saw a real need. So I I've written a lot and spoken a bunch on on this topic. Well, you don't really hear, you know, I think people assume that if you've gone and done all those years of med school and residency and everything else that you're going to stick with it forever because you did invest all that much, that time. Yeah. And I also have to imagine, and you know, I, you may have gone through this, you know, that when you have invested all of that, that you, you know, really kind of wonder, you know, what did I do all of this for? And, you know, do I really want to chuck it all in or is it just a phase or, you know, it has to be an interesting situation to be in because you have that whole sunk cost of all of that time and money and training. And then to think about doing something different must seem kind of alien. That's all absolutely correct. I think there's a, a huge psychological hurdle for doctors in, in thinking about doing something else for, for that reason. And then, you know, and then there are all the all the people around you saying, oh, that's my friend, the doctor. Oh, that's my son, the doctor, you know, so um, so that that makes it hard, too. And then and then um, there were there were numerous people and I write about this in the book, uh, numerous people who just thought I was nuts or they were wondered what was wrong with me or various things like that. I mean, relatives who who thought that who were wondering uh, mm -hmm. why it was, what was the real reason I was thinking about doing. Um, so, so that's all difficult. Um, and I, I think for doctors too, the other thing is that um, doctors go through a really linear path in, in preparing for their careers. It, it, in many ways, it's a difficult path, but in a lot of other ways, it's a really simple path because there aren't a lot of branches in the path. You go to medical school, you do a residency, you get a job. And most people try and decide if they want to go into academics or private practice, and then they apply for jobs. 
And, you know, while other people haven't figured out they want to be a doctor or maybe they want to do something else, have to go through a lot of branches in their thought process to figure out what that could be. But doctors then go through this whole linear process and then they get however far into their careers or into medical school or residency and say, gee, I think I want to do something else. And then suddenly they have to completely change how they assess their career and and try and figure out what what the options are. And really, I, I think a lot of doctors, including myself, when I was looking at, at making career change, I was looking for a book to tell me how to do it because everything else I knew was in the textbook somewhere. And that's how I learned everything up until that point. It's all in the textbook. And when you change careers, usually it's networking, it's exploration through different ways. There's not a book that says, hey, here's here's how you go from point A to point B. It doesn't really exist. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of books like my book that, that can help people a little bit, but they're they're not going to tell them exactly how to do it. Um, so it it can really be difficult for doctors. But the interesting thing is that really when you think about um most people, most types of careers, I bet I bet the vast majority of people change industries at one point or another. And it doesn't seem like it's a dramatic life altering type of event that everybody would question and mm-hmm. seems seems like you're doing something really off the wall uh, but for some reason with physicians there there is that feeling and it's no different for them they they're in a job and they're thinking well geez maybe i maybe i want to do a different job maybe i want to work for a different type of company or in a different area but for them it's a dramatic deviation and, and i think it definitely feels like that to doctors. So sure. it can be tough. Well, it sounds like in your case, you didn't waste any of it because you keep using it in multiple different ways, whether it's informing the novels that you're writing or just helping to educa- educate other doctors. So, you know, it sounds like it's all come together nicely for you. Yeah, so far so good. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and I'm I'm really enjoying writing. It's It's really been great. And uh it's it was great when it was a hobby and and it's even better now that I'm doing more of it. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm incorporating really a little bit of everything. And I'm sure every, the same way anybody else does when they write, I, it, you know, I, there's definitely some of the medicine in there. There is definitely some of my business knowledge and experience as a business owner, because every writer is essentially a business owner if they're treating it like a career, if, it, mm-hmm. if it's a job for them. And so that that's been helpful, too. Well, I'm glad that it's working out and we'll be keeping an eye to see how it goes. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for coming and talking with us. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. That's this week's episode. Thanks so much to Michael McLaughlin and to you for listening. Please leave a review for this episode. There's a link right in your podcast app. And in it, tell us about a time when you made a big shift in your life. If you enjoyed our conversation, I hope you'll share it with a friend. Thank you so much. If this episode resonated with you, don't forget to get in touch on any of my social platforms or even via email at nancy at fycuriosity.com and tell me what you loved. And if you're feeling a little bit less than confident in your creative process right now and you haven't yet signed up for my free email series on six of the most common creative beliefs that are messing you up, please check it out. It'll untangle those myths and help you get rolling again. You can find it at fycuriosity.com and there's also a link right in your podcast app. See you there and see you next week.
Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. Thanks. Thanks.